Hello there, welcome aboard. This is uh, Comparing Apples to Oranges. I'm Mike. I'm Dan. And we are coming at you with another episode of the podcast where we take two things that belong in the same category, that don't belong in the same genre, and using a special set of criteria developed for this episode, we're going to tell you which one's better. Dan, long time no see. How's it going? It's uh, going really well. I am uh, 100%. I would say I would. I am uh, 95% recovered from uh, COVID-19, just trying to get my smell and taste back, but other than that, I feel good. That's great. Uh, we are still social distancing, uh, podcasting, we got that Skype going, uh, I could see Dan, and I have elected that he cannot see me, you know, yep. just like our regular relationship. It's, it's sexier that way. Usually, I will wear... Uh, it's, like a virtu- it's like a virtual glory hole. <laughs> that is, I'm gonna, no, you're thinking of chat roulette. That's what Oh. You remember that? I do. I was I never participated, but in either I, the the rouletting or the the glory uh, holy. That's good. Got to Not yet. Like there's still time. Yeah, once, you know, they keep shutting down stuff, so once they let it open, you know. Watch we know out. Uh, the New York uh Department of Health put out that uh that like uh, three-page thing about I don't how know. if safe I would during I don't uh, want to put that in the show notes, Dan. <laughs> I just put a link to it. You know, they they advocate lots of uh, glory holing apparently to stay safe during the this pandemic. That is the opposite of safety. Is that... I don't know if they put like duct tape in it. You know, no, so I mean, no, ra- <laughs> no jagged edges. I mean, I think it's probably pretty safe uh, on both people on the receiving and the uh, giving end. There's there's too much <laughs> danger. For, for receiving me. and the giving. Yeah. What do you call it? No, that sounds right. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So, uh, rare uh, change here. Dan has elected to watch films today. Usually, um, he's busy with work and leaving his house to do stuff. However, mm-hmm. uh, like the majority of people, we are not doing so much of that. So we oh. watched movies today. Yeah. Well, one of them was. Just, you know, shorter than some albums, actually, so yeah. it kind of worked out. Uh, so today we have elected to do shoestring budget movies. Dan, what do you think that covers? What kind of category is that? Uh, I would think that somebody sold all of their shoestrings to fund the film. So that's not a bad idea because uh, shoestring budget typically means... Um, made without a lot of money, and I don't know about you, but shoestrings on in this market, in this yeah. economy, <laughs> in this economy, are you know it's a pittance. You're it's dollars to donuts, which yeah, like even if you did correct. sell all of your shoestrings, you probably wouldn't have a lot of money. Correct. So it, it does kind of fit. It's like on Friends when Joey said uh, it's the a moon point. point. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's a good it's like a cow's opinion. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Perfect. But yeah, it kind of makes sense. But basically, they're making these movies um, on not a lot of money. And there's a and this is, I guess, the first films from a couple of pretty prominent directors. Yes. And that's more or less the trend for 
shoestring budgets. People don't do it on purpose. They sort of do it out of necessity. And I was having a really difficult time trying to figure out what a consensus uh, budget was for shoestring budget. Because mm-hmm. uh, when you Google search this, you come up with a variety of lists, as uh, the internet is wont to do. And there are some, they're like, yeah, this was under, you know, 60 million. I'm like, <laughs> oh, we had, we had to tighten up the purse strings on this one. <laughs> and uh, that seems, you know, and that was, it, it doesn't matter what time era we're talking about. That's too much money. Now, I understand they're like, well, James Cameron. I'm like, shut up. Okay. <laughs> just, that's when you just tell them, just, you just walk out of the room. You punch them in the face and you walk out of the room. I mean, shoestring to me means, or you can afford to make a movie as a like we, person. We could afford to make a movie. Right. Like, if we wanted to make a movie, we we could. Right. Like, it might, we might not be able to eat, like, we might have to eat, like, uh, ramen noodles for a few months, but we can make a movie if we wanted to. Wait, is that a sign of not having money? <laughs> uh, they're delicious, but yes, apparently uh, uh, people see that as uh, as not having a lot of money. I thought it was just being thrifty. Oh, well. Uh, and I think both of these movies do a pretty good job of staying within those boundaries. Uh, it turns out there are a handful of famous shoestring budget movies. Uh, we're not talking about, like stuff that's on YouTube. We're talking about movies that were that won awards. Because uh, usually Dan and I take this an opportunity to watch a movie as like uh, other people take opportunities to self-flagellate. Like we mm-hmm. don't we would rather not enjoy our time. Right. And then we would like to see each other and talk about how shitty it was. Right. We feel like like we've been bad people in life and that we need to punish ourselves. Uh, to as a penance right. for all the bad things we've done, and we try to you know get in front so, of karma so they don't punish us worse. So we watch Leprechaun Five. <laughs> that fun, fun fact we haven't watched that. You're thinking of Tremors Five, which right. pretty easy to confuse those two. Yeah, they had the ass blasters. Oh my god, that was a real thing. Jamie Kennedy he axed us so hard. With that he movie. did. <laughs> he axed his own career too. I think when you land in a movie like Tremors Five, you've been at, you've already been. At. <laughs> yep. And uh, I mean, it seems like today, with the proliferation of YouTube and the fact that they were trying to really push the iPhone camera, where they're like, Selena Gomez made a YouTube vi- or made a music video only on the iPhone. I'm like, dude, I could tell it's garbage. Like. <laughs> Not her. Don't get me wrong. Great, great, uh, great Selena Stan over here. But Super not, talent. not the video was clearly shot with someone who's like, okay, I'm gonna move the camera now. And you're like, it's not working, bro. <laughs> That's not to say that the slow mo function on uh, the current iPhone iOS is not well worth it. I, I love it so much, especially when I. Let's, let's be honest, I'm only taking slow-mo videos of the dog doing stuff, and it's right. the best. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But I would not submit it to, you know, the Cannes Film Festival, because that's not where it goes. What about Sundance? I think it would go to Sundance. Yeah, but it's not going to place. We can all agree with that. <laughs> but, but, but people will see it. it yeah. just, it's all about getting it out there. That's, you're not wrong. And so uh, you did you did a good job mentioning that 
a shoestring budget movie usually is where people that we know of have started. Uh, fun facts about um, Peter Jackson had, uh, before he went on to do your favorite movie, King Kong with Adrian Brody, uh, he did a like uh, low-budget horror movie called Dead Alive, which... Like, the only reason people know about it is because he did other stuff afterwards. I mean, and by people, I mean people not in New Zealand? Is he from New Zealand? I think so. I know that's where they shot Lord of the Rings, so maybe that's it. Shot it in his backyard in New Zealand. He has a lot of land, man. I guess. Can't hide money. Gotta flex on that. Uh, but I think that it's pretty common to say, like... And we'll, we'll get into this when we start talking about the criteria... But money shouldn't be, production value shouldn't be what makes a movie good or not. And uh, both of these movies weren't, were not bad. And while you could tell that they weren't done with a lot of money, it wasn't as distracting as it would appear. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I thought they both had their merits. Uh, there was, you know, when you're used to watching big, studio movies it's sometimes you have to kind of you know take a step back and realize that you know it's not going to look the same as those movies it just doesn't have the the budget and the you know the editing uh editing materials to to make it look right and spice it up spruce it up but uh you know i thought that you know, overall, once you kind of got into both of them, I felt like I kind of turned that part of my brain off and kind of just saw the movies for what they were rather than comparing them to, you know, big budget studio films. Like we expect everything now, everything's all about like 4K and HD and, you know, looking, you know, super crisp. Yes. And you can't, you just can't, even with the advances in digital technology, you can't do that with a super super low budget film you can't make it look as good as something that you know costs 50 to 100 to 200 million dollars to make that's exactly right and uh sort of the expectation with all modern movies is that they're cgi and you know i, I liked the marvel movies but endgame was all green screen you know, yeah, like yeah. fifteen percent of the people on screen are human beings, which isn't, you know, it is what it is because it, it's not trying to be anything but over the top and not cartoonish but otherworldly. It's not supposed to be real life, and it's sort of whenever you see like a regular movie that doesn't need CGI, the CGI is always bad, you know, mm -hmm. and like. Uh, the movie Baby Driver, that, that made a big deal of being like, we're not going to use CGI in any of our car chase, uh, car crash, car stunt stuff. And you're like, okay, that's great. But like, I also like the Fast and the Furious when they went through three buildings. You know? Of course. And so I think it's sort of difficult to only be a purist with that stuff today because... I enjoy both because they're both entertaining. I don't think uh, one is better than the other on like, I don't disrespect 
the Fast and the Furious because I'm just so overwhelmed with what's happening that I can't like critique it for its uh, their choices. Besides the fact that I'm like, oh, I'm super entertained, you know, like because I am not going into that being like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm really gonna pay attention to the plot and the acting of this movie. <laughs> no offense, Vin Diesel, love you, but <laughs> and even The Rock, you know. But John Cena is going to be in the next one too. How about that? Is that Fast Nine? Because it was uh, it was fate. God, so it was so fate of the Eight, and then they did Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. So okay. I guess it's it's nine 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 Buster Rhyme. I like it. We'll get Buster in there. And I think John Cena is like uh, Vin Diesel's brother or something. <laughs> Just gonna ignore that. Yep, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> And you know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Nope. Uh, what, what I'm enjoying about the two movies we watched is they were not they, they could stand up on their own, and I think plenty of movies can do that. I remember like the movie, uh, is it Beer Fest when they go to Germany, and it's like mm-hmm. okay, that one has like just ridiculous CGI where they're like bouncing the quarters and then they're drinking the boot. <laughs> And it's like, you're like, you didn't have to do this, guys. It's not that, yeah. it's not that big of a deal, you know. Uh, but that definitely increased their budget that they had to do CGI, and they felt the need to do that. Sure. And, and on the other hand, that same group, the that the Broken Lizard group, oh yeah, is that there? Yes, that's it. They made uh, Super Troopers two, all based on crowdfunding. Yeah. Like a GoFundMe or whatever, didn't or Indiegogo do, or whatever it was. Didn't do well, did it? I never saw it. I don't think it. I don't think it had to do well though, because, because it already made the money. Because yeah, be, because it was already paid for by other people. <laughs> so it's not like you had to like, oh, we got to pay the studio back, or they're going to be pissed off. Right. So I don't. I don't know how much it made. I think it. Like they were only asking for like two million or something like that. Which is, like I said, wait, if you give us more, we can, like, blow up more shit. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, like, stunts, uh, explosive, all that stuff makes sense to me that you'd have to, you gotta spend money on that. But then, you know, if you gave money to it, then you got, like, cool perks. Like, uh, like they would be, like, the best man at your wedding. Or, (laughs) like, you could, you could get the, the car from the movie. Correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they say, like, they would give you a semen sample so you can impregnate yourself with I, was that a joke i don't know that might have been a joke i know that like they would like break up with your girlfriend for you or they 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 had all kinds of crazy things that they would do in addition to just like autographed eight by tens and stuff like that yeah but you know that's that's the age we're in right now man you can just throw something out on the internet and if people like it they will send you money and you can make the movie which I don't think was an option for either one of these guys here that we're going to talk about today. Correct. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into it. Our first movie uh, comes from Christopher Nolan. It's his debut film. Uh, he is best known for the Dark Knight trilogy. Because that's what it's called, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, we watched the movie Following... Which is, how long is it, Dan? Uh, 71 minutes, I believe. 
Oh, mine said 69. I set you up for a <laughs> Ah, nice. Sorry. Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> so, Christopher Nolan, best known for the Batman, best known for The Prestige. Did you see that one? I did not see The Prestige. Is that the one with Hugh Jackman in it? Yeah. Which it's... I'm surprised I haven't seen it since Hugh Jackman's in it. Uh, also, Batman's in it. So, it's Batman and Wolverine are both oh, nice. magicians. Yeah. In... Christian Bale? Yeah. No, Michael Keaton. Oh, and I think Alfred's in it too, isn't he? Oh yeah, he he plays a great guy. Uh, I I really enjoyed um, the movie. He's also he also did Inception, which is fine. Uh, Dunkirk, which I haven't seen, and then everyone's making a big deal about this movie Tenet because he really wants to open theaters up so people can see it, and everyone's like, "Yeah, it's stood on demand." Yeah, just digital. Yeah. You're like, no, man, it needs to be experienced. Ah, does it? Yeah. Does it really? Probably. Um, oh, he also did Memento, which is a Guy Pierce movie. It's really good. Uh, so we watched Following. It is classified as a 1998 British, whoa, watch out, <laughs> neo-noir. That's not, uh, you know, uh, Neo from the Matrix solving crime, even though that would be great. Uh, and then... It's a crime thriller film that was written and directed by Christopher Nolan. Um, which do you want to do the? Uh, do you want to do a quick synopsis of it? Don't try to give too many spoilers away. There's a guy who is—he's uh, a writer, right? Yeah. And uh, he's—I he? he's think—I think he is. I think he's a writer, and he's like yeah, he's. looking for inspiration, I guess, because he's having some like writer's block. So he just starts like following people around. And he has like these, um, uh, I guess, parameters that for like following certain people for like a certain amount of time. And he ends up following this one guy who ends up realizing that he realizing that he's being followed and he's a burglar. And so this writer uh, ends up like getting in uh, entrenched into the world of burglary with this uh, gentleman, and uh, shenanigans ensue from there. That's that's pretty good. Uh, it is all shot in black and white, which, you know, is sort of polarizing for modern-day movies, mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes it's done, obviously, as a like nod to the audience, like, this is going to be so good, we didn't even need color. This is so artsy. Yeah. Like, it insists upon itself, <laughs> the the artfulness of it. Which, Christopher Nolan, as he's gotten older, I could understand why he would want to do something in black and white. Like, they just did that movie, The Lighthouse, in black and white, and you're like, that did, they didn't need to do that. Uh, but I think he did it because he likes, you know, crime movies, and a lot of mm -hmm. them came out in the era that he probably, you know, got his foundation of filmmaking from. And what's they, a what's a dame like you doing in a place like this? Exactly, you nailed it, Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> it's great, Humphrey Bogart. Uh, so, Dan, how much did you have this movie down for, money wise? How much did it? What was its budget? Do you remember? Um, I thought I saw like six grand or something like that. Yeah, they they measured it. Is that what you saw? They measured it in pounds, and they're like three thousand pounds. I'm like, dang. <laughs> That's a heavy movie, but then I'm like, oh, that is, that's that's a pretty good joke. Um, so he was 
apparently Christopher Nolan has been making mo- uh, was making movies as a kid, and this is like the first real one that everyone considered it. Like he's done dozens of like little ones, and I apparently I think they like I don't know if they have any of his still around or whatever, but I know that this movie made it to the Criterion Collection, so you know it's made it. So what is the? I saw that uh, both these movies were in the Criterion Collection. What is that? Um, it's sort of like it's an uh, a series of movies that are from all over the world, different times or different eras, uh, different genres of movie, and they're like ones that people uh, agree on are like culturally important. Okay, and so. When you're added to the Criterion Collection, usually there's a DVD with all, like, sort of supplemental materials, like giving you background of the director, background of the movie, background of the history of the production, all that sort of stuff. Because I always, like, my brother and I always joke about the, the, the Boo Rhino Criterion Collection. Right. And it's like, it's just a hodgepodge. Like, Austin Powers 2 is in there, but also... Great like, film, Dan. Like some like Schindler's List is in there, yeah. <laughs> and like, and like every movie that's ever nominated for an Oscar that I have no desire to see is in there. But then also like Ace Ventura, Pet Detectives in there. My brother like go goes back and forth between movie snob and like thirteen year old boy. Yeah. As far as this movie taste tastes go. So he always jokes about the Boo Rhino Criterion Collection. Yeah. But then I saw both of these. Like this one is sleeve four ninety two in the Criterion Collection. So do they like protect these movies somewhere? They like in a vault somewhere? No, it's just they sort of. Uh, it's sort of like if you're made it onto the AFI list. You know, uh-huh. it's you. You've made it. You've been recognized, and uh, we're going to curate a specific this specific movie. Gotcha. Um, I don't know how that works. Maybe you like as the director or whatever, you get a little bit more money for, from sales because it's like regular DVD and then Criterion Collection DVD. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that works, but yeah, it's it's sort of like a Hall of Fame, but uh, I don't think it's supposed to be connected with box office sales. It's supposed to be like considered a good film, so not mm-hmm. necessarily movies that win Oscars. That doesn't necessitate that they will join the Criterion Collection. Right. Okay. Is my my understanding. Um, so, just real quick, scenes were heavily rehearsed so that just one or two takes were needed to economize the 16mm film stock, uh, the production's greatest expense. So, apparently, buying film mm-hmm. is always super expensive, and that's the reason why movies, like you were mentioning, editing, like... If you want to take a scene like three or four times, that's going to cost a specific amount of money sure. because of how much footage of footage, how much how many feet of film you used. So, yeah, that's crazy, man. That the facts that you know uh, the advancements in like digital technology. Like I, I even remember when digital cameras first came out, and I was just so enthralled by the fact that you could take a picture and then just delete it like you didn't oh i don't like that one let's take it again whereas like with the old cameras you didn't know what what it looked like until you took it took the film to the you know uh what's the place called that developed your your walgreens Walgreens. (laughs) uh so you took it to the you know photo 
place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, got it developed. You're like, oh, this looks like shit. Well, guess we got to go back to Fiji again. Yeah, the joke we always have is, like, we know the both the the first picture and the last picture are of the bedspread, because my dad was getting the camera loaded. And it was, <laughs> but the first and the last are, it's bookended by pictures of his feet or the bedspread. <laughs> yep. But, like, just the fact that you could, like, you know, nope, your eyes were closed, let's take it again. Nope, the, uh, my finger was covering up the lens, let's take it again. I mean, I thought that was just, like, the greatest thing ever. And then now we've got, you know, basically a, uh, you know, a fancy camera, you know, on our phone. You know, yeah. cam- the, the camera that we have on our phone is better than a lot of the digital cameras that came out, you know, even five years ago, right. you know, people were paying, you know, upwards of a thousand dollars for. So it's, it's pretty insane that, uh, you know, the advances in, in digital and how that, you know, how people could get away with, with making like a film on a shoestring budget now versus when these movies came out, because, you know, you don't have to worry about rolls of film, you right. know, you've got as many rolls of film as you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, however, however much your you know phone can hold, or however much your your memory card can hold, and the fact that these like memory cards that are like the size of like your thumbnail can hold you know thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of of video and audio is is pretty insane. Uh, you talk about you know these movies where they had to you know put the put the film into the machine and actually you know cut when you when you're cutting a film you're actually you know they they use it as a term now you're like we're you know we're editing we're cutting certain things that's what you had to do you actually had to take scissors and cut out the parts that you didn't want and you know re-spool it back together uh it's just it's insane to think you know how far things have come as far as uh digital audio and video and of course there's always the purists who are like no it has to be shot on film for it to be mm-hmm. considered a yep. good movie and you're like I, that's fine like you're you're more than entitled to your opinion it's not right all the time but you're more than entitled to it like just because yeah. something's on film doesn't make it good but yeah it's the same thing with uh with audio you know yeah. people say that things sound better on on vinyl than they do uh digitally which i mean doesn't i mean doesn't really make sense when you think about it you would think that you know the better the technology, the better we can, the cleaner we can make it sound, and the better we can make it sound, and we can, you know, pump up certain things and, you know, put down flaw, you know, hide flaws in it. But some people are just purists and want it a certain way, and it's the same thing with with video. However, have you ever seen the Three Stooges in color when they colorize them? It's awful. It's it's like a fever <laughs> I've seen, dream. I've seen It's a Wonderful Life in color, and people like act like it's. Like a Nazi propaganda film, they that they they can't watch. <laughs> so that's the thing. Some people would think that's great, and that's the issue, Dan. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh yeah. We, we can't have, we can't use that as analogy right anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's they're taking away our jokes. We, we've lost our metric. <laughs> I sent you a thing the other day about the uh, or did I send it to you? The uh, maybe I sent it to somebody else. The uh, Georgia state flag, like up until two thousand three. Like half of it was the stars and bars Confederate flag, yeah, and that 
they changed it to that like in 1957. So it's like in, they had just this regular flag, and in 1957 they said, you know what? We better double this down. Is, this flag is not racist enough. <laughs> we got to really <laughs> what, lean into it. What can it? we put on it? And they and it looks like something that like a ten year old made with like Microsoft Paint, where they just like cut like the uh, Confederate flag out and just like moved it over on top of the other half of the Georgia flag. It looks like the most pieced together piece of shit artwork I've ever seen. And they decided to hang on to it for about, oh, 50 years. Not just hang on to it, Dan. Literally hang it up. Everywhere. <laughs> and apparently, uh, as we speak, Mississippi is the last uh, yeah. state to still have the Confederate flag as, as part of their state flag, and they're getting rid of it. But uh, the lawmakers are saying it's not as it's not as easy process as you think. Uh, okay, Dan, you know what's on the Missouri flag? Two bears holding a shield. Two badass bears. Like, how hard is it to come up with a new flag? Just like, name an animal. I don't know, man. A bear. All right, we're gonna have two bears. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! I thought we were just gonna have one. Like, no, man. It doubled. You know down. how cool one bear would be. California's got one bear on their flag. We're going to have two of them, and they're going to be standing up like people. <laughs> We're going to have one saluting and the other one giving the finger. <laughs> Dude, I'm in. Yeah. Sign me up. And, that's and then a- one, like, laying down in the front, like, uh, you know, <laughs> like centerfold the, style. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, the hype man. Like- <laughs> <laughs> With, like a, like, a big clock hanging from his necklace <laughs> or from, from his neck. I like it. See, sign me up, man. Yeah. That's that's way more fun than than uh, a racist Confederate flag. That's not fun at all. Yeah, it's also just like so uninspired. They're like, hey, what are we gonna do for our flag? They're like, I don't know. What if we use this other one? Yeah, we we we. <laughs> it's obvious you copied off your friend. You're like, no. <laughs> I don't know, man. There's lots of flags that people have already. People seem to like this one. Let's just use that. It's like when kids would sign their parents' name on permission slips, but they would write, like, my mom, or, like... Yeah. <laughs> or they'd write it in crayon, yeah. and the R would be backwards. I've had that I've had yeah. that before. Yeah, it's the so best. You tell your mom signed this. That's her name. It's in like crayon. Yeah, that's all she, she print, had. And printed her name instead of using cursive. She was in What's a hurry. Cursive? Yeah. What's cursive? That's, uh, that's the big... That's uh, the best. Although... Although parents are getting uh, younger and younger now, there probably won't be any cursive uh, yeah. before long. Take that, education. And speaking of uh, cursive writing, we're talking about uh, following here, okay. uh, Chris Nolan's first film. So it was written and directed, filmed, and co-produced by Nolan. He also did some of the original – uh, he did some of the editing as well. Bit of a micromanager, isn't he? He's got to, got to have his hands in all the, the honey jars. Uh, probably. He also had the, this is a common thing um, when you do it uh, a shoestring budget is you have your friends and family, uh, as the cast. Mm-hmm. So I think his dad's in here. He does not play a role though, so that's kind of interesting. Um, he de- he wrote it so that it would be super cheap to make. I think his uh, his wife's in there too, um, and I think I read somewhere that that's the only movie of his that she appears in. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also a movie where the cast and crew were all full time employees, so they could only 
it took a year to film because yeah. they had to do it, you know, on the weekends. Yeah. And, uh, another thing, Nolan paid for the movie out of his salary because he had not quit his day job, which is kind of interesting. Well, I mean, when you're only filming on Saturdays, you can you can work during the week. Yeah. He says, filming took place on Saturdays for three or four months. Nolan showed about 15 minutes of footage each day. This time frame also moderated the cost of film stock and allowed him to pay for it out of his salary. For the most part, Nolan filmed without professional film lighting equipment, largely employing available light, which uh, there is a Wikipedia page about available light, if you want to look that up later. Uh, he And the 16mm black and white film sort of helped that out. So, Yeah, it said the, the whole film was shot almost entirely handheld single camera. So that's uh, pretty uh, pretty gritty. Yeah, of him. Uh, I also thought it was interesting that you know Christopher Nolan's this big celebrated director. He never went to film school. I do not know that. He had like I think he had a. Um, he does have a degree, but I think it's in um, like in- English literature or something like that. Just like me. <laughs> Naturally. My dad, my dad has a English degree too, and then of course he became a crappy lawyer. So, well, the natural progression that tends to slow you down if you're good at reading, I guess. So, uh, another thing that I, I noticed when I was watching the movie when they, um, I guess it was the second place that they broke into, the burglars broke into. It had a Batman sticker on the door. That's actually, I guess, spoilers. That's the lead character's apartment. So the lead character has a Batman sticker. Gotcha. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting because Christopher Nolan would go on to direct the the Batman movies. They also mentioned that. Uh, so I got this from an article called uh, "Following Nolan in a Nutshell" by this guy Jim Ayer. Emerson, which I'll, uh, from Robert, Roger Ebert's site. Um, they mentioned that Cobb, the character Cobb, is also Leonardo DiCaprio's name in the movie Inception. So the first movie sort of had stuff that he would go back to. Mm-hmm. The whole. Um, so let's talk about our second movie now, Dan. It's called Slacker. Uh, it's the Life of Mike Bono. Nice. Got me. Got, got him. Got me skewered. Uh, <laughs> this was a hundred minutes, and you can kind of tell that it costs considerably more money, because uh, I think the budget for this one was twenty three thousand. Is that right? That sounds right. Yeah. Let me check real quick. Yeah, twenty three thousand dollars. So like, already the movie is. Uh, 31 minutes, almost 50%, just under 50% longer, so maybe that, you know, increases the budget a lot more. And it's shot, uh, in color, so maybe that costs more, too. I don't know. Um, Slacker is a 1990 American independent comedy drama film, written, produced, and directed by Richard Linkletter, who also appears in the film. He, uh, does the sort of Hitchcock thing, where... He plays a character. Um, he's actually the first character. He's the one who's asleep on the bus and then gets in the taxi and has the conversation with the taxi yeah. driver about 
like dreaming and then alternate realities. He's like leaning over the <laughs> the uh, the seat to like Our talk question. to the cab driver. Yeah, yeah, cab drivers love that. I'm sure. Well, especially in COVID, you know, they they think yep. it's great. Um, Dan, before we watched this, have you seen any movies by Richard Linklater? Um, I've seen Dazed and Confused. Um, and I thought there was another one I had seen. What were some of his prominent? School ones? of Rock? Yes, that was the other one. Um, actually one of the few, uh, good Jack Black movies out there. Ooh, shots fired. I like, yep. I like most he, of Jack Black's movies. I put, uh, put him on the skewer right next to you. Is it because he's in a wrestling movie that you don't approve of? Um, that, the movie is, uh, horse shit. I'm gonna say dog shit. Is that better than horseshit? Because okay. it's smaller? I'm asking you. You're the expert. Sure. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> he also is famous for the movie Boyhood, which he took, I think, over a decade to film, which was really cool. And the two movies, Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly, which he did like entirely rotoscoping movies. Which So he filmed the movie, and then he had each individual frame rotoscoped which mm. is just insane i don't know why you would do that uh Probably why it took him a decade to do it no that was boyhood that's <laughs> a different one uh ah. he, he's also famous for the romantic drama trilogy called uh there's before sunrise before sunset and before midnight yeah is that the ethan hawk ones yeah he's a big ethan hawk fan he's yeah. big he, he puts them in most of his movies um fun fact uh, Matthew McConaughey, which is, he is a tel- Texas native, uh, he got his film Breakout from Dazed and Confused. All right, all right. With that really creepy line about high school girls. <laughs> no matter how old I get, they say the same age. Yeah. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, also, you probably recognize Richard Linkletter because he played Cool Spy in Spy Kids. Okay. No, you you recognize him, Dan. <laughs> Did you? Sorry, let me say it a little clear. It was he's cool spy. Not, oh, I thought you meant. I thought you said uh, drool spy. No, everybody knows that's uh, Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, <laughs> Great. So, Daniel Day Lewis plays one of the gadgets in Spy Kids. <laughs> oh no, he's he plays so, like he plays. He's so he plays one of the, he, he plays one of the grappling guns in Spy Kids, and you would never know no. that it's him. Immaculate. Can you do me a favor and try and tell me what happens in the movie Slacker, Dan? Uh, not a lot, Mike. Shots um, fired. We uh, basically just kind of follow around a bunch of people in Austin, Texas, which I guess is where Richard Linkletter lives. He was born in Houston, then moved to Austin, yeah. So... They just kind of follow around these like different people with these different eccentricities. Um, they've got uh, so one one guy who uh, uh, pretty early in the film hits his mom with a car and then just like goes home and waits for the cops to show up. Uh, we got one guy who's uh, like a JFK conspiracy guy. He's uh, he's working on a book, right? Yeah, like fan, a, mostly fanfic though. So yeah. Uh, that's the best kind. But uh, then we've got uh, another guy who like is like 
pretty sure like that UFOs exist because we've been on Mars since the 50s and we encountered UFOs and so it's just it's a bunch of like weirdos basically that were that were following around people with different uh there's a uh, one lady who has uh uh the the remnants of Madonna's pap smear yeah. in a in a vial <laughs> uh that that she's uh you know, it's very valuable. Things has a lot of lot of value. Yeah, and maybe it does. I don't know. I'm the, I haven't gotten into the pap smear market in years, so I am assuming it has ups and downs. Uh, for you know, as far as value goes, similar to the baseball card market, those two markets have, as far as collectors go, have always been very similar. Like when one moves, the other moves too. But whose gum do you prefer? Um, I know what you mean by gum with the baseball cards. I don't know what you mean with the, the, the I'm sure gum is a euphemism for something as it comes to uh, pap smears. Who knows? Uh, who knows anymore? <laughs> uh, the most descriptions trying to describe these people as bohemians and hipsters. I guess today we might use the word like millennials. I don't know. Because this is a movie about a generation that's in the middle. It's sort of mm-hmm. like that prolonged adolescent generation. Uh, who was your favorite weirdo, Dan? Probably the um, the UFO guy. Okay. Yeah, I think that... Um, I don't know. I just always, uh, I always enjoy uh, guys like that that seem like they would... I don't know. It seems like life has like dealt them such a shitty hand that you wouldn't think that they would be very uh, like educated or anything. But this guy's got makes a lot of good points. This just in: uh, Dan Rhino confessed UFO weirdo. Fun fact, everybody. Mm-hmm. Fun mm-hmm. fact. Uh, my uh, favorite... I go back and forth on that whether I believe uh, aliens are real or not. That's fair. I'm like you think like God, the universe is so big like we can't be the only intelligent life out there i don't know bro i've seen bigger and then i just think no that's dumb (laughs) to think that it's there's a lot of complex issues at play for sure uh i was partial to the tv guy because he had like Mm -hmm. he had a room full of tvs and he was you know he was just kind of into it and uh he had a tv like on a chair taped to his back. I thought that was funny. <laughs> and he he had all these like like bootleg tapes that he got, but they weren't he wasn't trying to sell them and they weren't like bootlegs of stuff that people were trying to watch in theaters or anything. It was just like weird uh underground stuff. And I thought that mm-hmm. was interesting. Granted, he was talking about a guy that like uh, a college student who took his class hostage with, like, a rifle, which isn't great, because, you know, it's... I'm sure at the time they're like, oh, this is kind of interesting, but, mm-hmm. like, in today's era, you know, class shootings are not really something that you should see Sure. in any way, shape, or form as, like, some, like, fodder for jokes. But I thought that guy was really interesting because he just seemed... the He seemed very committed, you know? Because he had a... There's- he had a TV on his back. That was funny to me. There's definitely a market for 
you know, bootleg, there's always been a market for, you know, bootleg videos like that and stuff. I remember when, uh, you remember when the, those faces of death movies were out? Yeah. When it, and they were actual, you know, a compilation of videos of people like actually dying. Right. And, you know, that you couldn't rent them at Blockbuster, you couldn't rent them at, you know, Hollywood video, but you could find them at like Ma and Pa stores who like had no morals and no rules. Right. Just wanted to make that cash, yeah. that paper. It's the Wild West out there. And then you couldn't even like buy them. You had to like, you know, buy them through like mail order or, or something like that. And it was, um, and I just, you know, remembered thinking like my friends and I had a joke like, if you, if you watch one of those, you you automatically just like sign your 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 lease for your apartment in hell, right? Yeah. That like that com- comes with like a little piece of paper. You go ahead and sign it, and they they reserve your spot for you. Yeah. But you know, there's definitely a um, there's definitely a place in this world for you know people wanting to see weird shit on videotape. Yeah, I I completely agree. And then, so I'm sure, a lot, I'm sure a lot of people saw that guy and like really related to him. Or they're like, "Where can I get my hands on this?" You know. Yep. Uh, so they really tried sell like the the movie intentionally moves from one person to another, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, like it's there's no particular narrative where it's just like you might use the word vignette. Like this is just. Moving from one person, and this is like, you know, a couple minutes in their life, and then we move on to another person that that person comes in contact with. Mm -hmm. If you think, if you're looking for a plot, this is not the movie uh, to find that. Yeah, you might see like 17 different plots that are all sort of happening in a specific setting. Um, So the film was shot, oh, also on 16mm. Araflex camera uh, <laughs> and premiered at Austin's Dobie Theater in 1990. Uh, it says Orion Classics. They're definitely gone. Acquired Slacker for a nationwide distribution and released a slightly modified 35mm version. I don't know what that means. It did not receive wide release, but when went on to become a cult film, bringing in domestic gross of a million, over a million dollars. Uh, oh, wow. 1.2 million. Um, the cast includes many notable Austinites, so people from Austin, Texas, including Lewis Black, not the Lewis Black you know, and <laughs> uh, members of a bunch of bands from that area. I saw that the the one the Pap smear girl was uh, from the Butthole Surfers. You familiar with that band, Dan? I'm only familiar uh, via Beavis and Butthead. Okay, they have a uh, a really good song that. Uh, talks about Texas a little bit. So I'll put that. That'll be our fade out song at the end of the episode. It's pretty good. Nice. Um, I, go ahead. I saw that only uh, six lights were used in this film. They, yeah, most of it's filmed outside. So mm-hmm. they try and capture the good Texas sun, you know? Yeah. Might as well use it if you got it. Uh, it was also picked by Entertainment Weekly magazine as one of the 50 greatest independent films in a uh, supplement that was distributed to subscribers in 1997. So I looked up, uh, this movie's also on the Criterion collection, like we mentioned. Mm -hmm. So like, clearly it's, it hits all the, as a movie that's out of, that doesn't belong to a specific 
production like house that you know this guy chose to do it by himself with no major actors or you know any anything besides just what he created you know like mm-hmm. there's nobody telling him what to do and maybe that's why it's independent but the criterion collection mentioned that uh it was shot for three thousand dollars i'm like that's wrong that's like twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars wrong so hmm. i don't know maybe he used the rest on catering nice yeah like lobster and you know just a little surf and turf every day every saturday can't argue with that uh, another thing I saw that uh, it said the average movie has 500 to 1,000 cuts in it. This movie only has 163, and almost a third of them come from the last five minutes. I I really liked uh, some of these long shots. And long, mm-hmm. long, I don't know if you know this. Long shots are in, Dan. Okay, they're in right now. It's, okay, it's cool to do long shots. I'll take your word for it. Um. So here's the description of the plot from Criterion Collection. Writer, producer, director, they forgot to say actor, Linkletter and his crew of friends threw out any idea of a traditional plot, choosing instead to create a tapestry of over a hundred characters, each as compelling as the last. I disagree with that. I thought some people were more compelling than others, and I don't think there were a hundred people in this movie. Yeah, I and some of them get like, you know, two seconds. Yeah. And uh, and definitely some were were way less compelling than than others. Hot take. Sorry. So the release of the film is often taken as a starting point for other independent film movement uh, of the 1990s. Many of the independent filmmakers of that period credit this film slacker with inspiring or opening doors for them. Perhaps most famously, Kevin Smith, who made another shoestring budget movie. Do you remember that one, Dan? Clerks. Which is also in black and white. Um, it it also popularized the use of the term slacker to describe a person regarded as one of a large group or generation of young people characterized by apathy, aimlessness, and a lack of ambition. Do you remember people having a lack of ambition in this movie? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think even the director at, at points. Because almost all of them are like, yeah, we're just going to hang out. Or, yeah, man. Yeah, I don't have a job just right now. Kind of in between jobs, but I have money to go to the bar and I have money to you know, go to the coffee shop. And Would you consider yourself a member of Gen X, Dan? Oh, I'm D-Generation X. <sighs> I walked into that. Sorry, everybody. Suck it. Sorry, Suck it. I, Suck it. I'm not going to do that. Suck it. I'm not going to do that. Uh, and then I read an article um, called As Slacker Turns 20, Director Linklater Reflects on the Film uh, from the Washington Post website. It says that the subject matter, half-hyper, over-intellectualized self-analysis, half-lowbrow humor, owes a debt to Woody Allen and National Lampoon but anticipates the Upright Citizens Brigade improv group. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. Uh, Like, I don't think this is Woody Allen. Woody Allen tries to talk about real people that are ordinary. Mm -hmm. And this movie sort of takes a look at people who are unusual. And then National Lampoon is like stuff over the top. It's literally in the title. Yeah, for satire. (laughs) 
And this is sort of... This is probably what people are up to if they have nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I thought that was an interesting take that obviously overthinks what this movie was about. Hey, I saw... Uh, also, I was looking up to see what this camera looked like. It said the bar scene was shot with a Fisher-Price Pixel Vision camcorder. Okay. Oh! I'm showing you... Yes, because it was in black and white or whatever. Or uh, <laughs> no, no, not black and white. Uh, night vision. That's and if you cool. look, I'm showing you the, a picture right now. Like up here, you kind of you can't really see it. It's got the Fisher Price logo. Hey man, <laughs> there's a whole uh, Wikipedia article. It's called the PXL 2000, also known as the Fisher Price PXL 2000, the Fisher Price Pixel Vision, and the Kitty Quarter. Ooh. It was a toy black and white camcorder produced in 1987 that uses a compact audio cassette as its recording medium. The PXL 2000 was created by team inventors who sold the rights to Fisher Price in 1987 at the American International Toy Fair in Manhattan. Uh, surviving on the market for merely a year, only 400,000 units were ever produced, uh, resulting in the camera's eventual present status as a sought-after cult object among many artists and media historians. Is that like the that saxophone that Jack Black plays? Remember that thing? It's like a toy that makes he makes a big deal about it because <laughs> Yeah, probably. Alright, cool. Uh, yeah, and then it and then it mentions the uh, you know that the notable uses was used by Richard Linklater in his nineteen ninety one debut film Slacker. A roughly two minute performance art sequence within the film is shot entirely in pixel vision. Definitely not performance art. <laughs> That's not how that word works. Uh anyway, are there any is there anything else you want to say about these two movies before we move on to our criteria? Uh let's see. I think Nope. I think I, I think we hit all the awesome. little notes that I had for all of them. Okay. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute with some criteria to decide which one of these shoestring budget movies is better. And we're back. Uh, Dan and I have decided on four criteria that we're going to use to determine which one of these shoestring budget movies is better, slacker or following. Dan, tell us about one of our criteria. Well, we always got to have rewatchability, Mike. That's like one of our go-tos. That's true. You're right. Which one would you want to watch again, or which one would you want to uh, sit down and you know introduce somebody you know new to who hasn't seen it while you watch it again? Okay. Always uh, very important. I want to talk about the acting performances. So because we know none of these people are professional actors, or uh, I don't know if we know that for sure, but it feels like that, because otherwise it would be like Christopher Nolan's following, featuring Vin Diesel. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yep. Uh, none of these people have a lot of name recognition and then almost all of them have uh, IMDB pages that are blank or just this one movie. Except for R Richard Linkletter who was uh, Cool Spy and Spy Kids. Of course. And then the Butthole Surfer. 
the butthole surfer drummer, I think? I think so, yeah. Um, so which movie was able to pull more out of the actors that they were working with? Who were, you know, maybe they had some experience in high school, maybe they did some, you know, local theater. Which one uh, got more out of their actors? What else, Dan? Uh, you talked about, or you wanted to talk about production quality? Yeah. Uh, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? So, do, which movie has um, interesting special effects or pulls off some good stunts? Which movie has a better use of, like, audio? What, what uses music better? Which, which movie does not pull the audience out of the fact that we're watching a movie rather than we're watching a movie shot for, like, less than $30,000. And then uh, the last one, I kind of had an I- the idea about, since these are both shoestring budget films, I was kind of wondering if we gave them a modest... Like a Hollywood to- budget. Yeah, by today's standards, a very modest uh, stipend to make the movie that they wanted to make. Let's say we, cause I think we said that following was six grand yeah. and, uh, slacker was in like 22 or something like that. That's about right. Yeah. You know, a very, pretty much anything that is, um, I would consider, you know, Hollywood pro- would probably say, Oh, like if it's under, you know, if it's, you know, under 20 million, it's probably a, you know, a low budget film, but I'm going to say if we gave each one of these directors a million bucks, which is very, very modest into in uh, even back then in when, when the movies were made, a million dollars was a very, you know, modest budget for a film. If we gave right. them a million dollars, who would have the better film? Who would yeah. be able who was only held back by budget? Who had the be, you know, maybe the better scope, who had the you know the the better potential was just held back for by monetary reasons because we don't want to punish a film just because they didn't have enough money on the on their credit card to to fund it if we gave them what what they needed to get put out the vision that they wanted to put out who would have the better film okay great um so let's get into it which one do you think had better acting uh for me, I thought following did. Um, I thought that it was. I was surprised that a lot of the the characters in Slacker were not. Uh, I, I thought that some of them might have been like actual, you know, professional actors because I thought that some of the characters uh, were more enticing than others and I thought that some of those characters maybe had had some kind of professional acting background so I was surprised to know that that some of those characters were not uh, or that none of those actors were actually professional actors I was pleasantly surprised by that but I just thought I assumed that following was all professional actors you know I just I thought that I didn't know that these were people that just had day jobs and were just like you know acting on the weekend I thought that you know a lot of the uh, the characters were very engrossing. I thought that uh, particular and you know some of them didn't even uh, something I noticed about both of these movies is that some of them, most of the characters didn't even have names. Yeah, you know we had like especially in Slacker. Yeah, you know they just but uh, even in 
uh, following. Some of the characters didn't even really have names. Like, I don't think the blonde had a name, did she? She was called the blonde. The blonde, Which right. I think it's sort of like a, a nod towards Hitchcock, you know? Sure. Uh, but I, I mean, I thought like, like she was, was very good in her role. Uh, I just, I just felt it, the, the characters came off more like seasoned actors to me in following. So I'm going to disagree with you because you're dead wrong as usual. Okay. Uh, I thought that everyone in Slacker was doing like the eight mile sort of acting where, you know, they were just playing themselves, but it seemed like they did a really good job of knowing their lines and the timing was all right. Um, Acting's not hard, Mike. Anybody can do it. I'm going to disagree with you because in following, uh, during an interrogation scene, when one of the characters is accused of murder, he literally says, no, I didn't. Like, so, and then there's sort of the amount of, it's a lot harder to play off, like, like apathetic when it when it means that your character is devious or you know is trying to cause harm has evil intent rather than apathetic like yeah i used to be in a band like all the people like the exchanges between characters and slackers seemed authentic you know like that's how uncomfortable people talk to each other when one's trying to hit on the other one and their friends are there and they're like this is stupid, you know, where in following, it seemed like this character Cobb was trying to be really slick and he was overacting at times. Mm -hmm. See, and maybe that's just like personal preference too, because, you know, when I, when I see a movie, I don't want to just see, you know, a bunch of, um, I don't know. I, I I want it to kind of. I almost like it, it might sound weird, but I almost kind of want it to come off like like I'm seeing a performance, you know. Okay. So let's get to uh, the next one. Rewatchability. Mine's for following then. Yeah, mine's for following too. I just thought that I, my my biggest thing with Slacker is that it just it really didn't. And we kind of alluded to it before. It really didn't have a, a story. It just you know, follows like, you know, these, these, uh, different slackers and, How dare you. you know, for sometimes for like a, a few minutes and sometimes for just a few seconds. But I, I don't know, man, I, I had a hard time get, I had a hard time in, engrossing myself in a film if, if there's no plot to it. And if there's no plot to it, then, you know, the point is just to show, you know, different weird people. Uh, you're kind of just like people watching at, at some point. Um, I completely agree with you. Like, I don't know if – like, it would have been a good, like, 30-minute, like, like, mini documentary. So, you, you know, you're talking about, uh, like, moving from character to character who we don't have any backstory but following them for just a little bit. There was a uh, an episode of Aziz Ansari's Master of None. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's in season two, and I want to say it's before the Thanksgiving episode. But like he he has one character that 
isn't that we've never seen before in the show because there's like three or four characters who the show revolves around and it follows all these different characters as they interact and we just follow them for like five minutes but we're able to fall into what's happening for them immediately and we're sort of we get invested and then we see them like touch someone or say something and then the camera follows that person and it, it was a very interesting episode and there wasn't a plot per se but you know it was we we followed these people's arcs for just a little bit and it was interesting and it grabbed our attention but this movie intentionally tries to show you the day-to-day boring stuff and maybe it's because it was longer but i i couldn't I couldn't deal with some of the conversations because I've heard them in real life and they're Mm -hmm. so these people are so self-interested that they don't think what they're saying is boring and it's so boring like the the old anarchist guy who like stops a robbery and then takes this guy for a walk is so boring Mm -hmm. and and the guy who's like yeah man you gotta throw your this typewriter into the water because you got broken up with. I'm like, this is so boring. And he's like, but you got to do it after I read this passage. I'm like, are you kidding? This is, <laughs> this isn't a movie. Yeah, I and it's like not, movies, Dan. Why is this and, in a movie? And it's not to say that, that following was so much more, you know, interesting or, mm-hmm. or, or easy, easy to follow because there was a, uh, you know, pardon, pardon the pun, easy to follow, because there was, nice, you know, Christopher Nolan uh, doing the Christopher Nolan thing, which they call it gets, a linear, kind of gets on my nerves sometimes. Oh. Where he, you know, I, you know, I hate time travel, Mike. Oh yeah, and, uh, You're right. And this movie, like, I think it said, I think I read somewhere, it jumps 31 times between different periods of time in the story, making following the movie perplexing. <laughs> yeah. You know, funny. I just, I hate, you know, I don't like when you just do an artsy shit just for the, for the sake of it. Yeah. And it seems like Christopher Nolan does that a lot. Yeah. And maybe that's why, like, I really liked the Batman movies, but I'm just not a big fan of his other stuff, you know? Sure. Sure, and I think I think it's just because he he tries to be he tries so hard to be, and maybe he's not trying that hard, but it seems like he's trying very hard just to to be different. Are you trying to tell me the movie Inception isn't trying hard, <laughs> dude? <laughs> trying so hard. The only reason I ever watched that movie is because I was laughing so hard at the South Park parody of it, and I was like, dude, I gotta watch this movie to find out what I'm what they're they're making fun of here. That's awesome. And they like they, they're the guys in the dream are hungry, so like they incept a, like a Domino's guy, and <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty dumb. Okay, so let's move on to the next one: production quality. Which movie did you think looked more professional? Uh, I thought Slacker looked more professional, and maybe that's maybe that's a result of the the budget. Maybe that's a result of the color versus the the black and white. Maybe that's a result of having better natural lighting in Austin, Texas, but I, I don't UK. know. I just, yeah, for sure. <laughs> the, the UK where it's always foggy <laughs> <laughs> and a, a, a perpetual cloud of smog hangs over the, uh, the entire country. 
I don't know. I just thought that that Slacker looked better, and maybe that's not fair because the budget was was bigger. But I just I just thought it looked like a more professional movie. I really liked how seamlessly the camera would move, even from like street view to like a window or you know inside of a car or uh, through a doorway. Like it felt like you were walking with these people. It felt like you were following these people around, which I know is not the the pun we're looking for here. But I thought it did a good job um, of really capturing what was happening. And the camera would move to a, like, a person speaking and then hold on to that person. Like, we're supposed to be, this is who we're going to pay attention to right now. Like, mm-hmm. this person's talking, and then this person's listening and reacting, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, the, like, the stunt work in following was so bad, like, mm-hmm. where he's like, I hit a guy, he didn't get up, I got out of there. I'm like, what? Is that what happened? <laughs> like, and, you know, the, he's... That wasn't stunt work, he really hit that guy. No, he didn't, bro. <laughs> and just, like, the... And I'm not asking for, like, excessive violence and, like, a slow-mo skull-cracking scene. But, you know, before people were allowed to show violence on screen, they got away with doing this stuff in in ways that were interesting, instead of just, like, it being too dark for me to tell what's happening, and then, like, smash cut to a guy laying on the floor with, like, a puddle next to his head. Yeah. And, uh... I thought... Like, even with the the hilarious Fisher-Price camera, like, that was kind of interesting, you know? So, I don't know. I gave it to production quality for uh, Slacker as well. Yep, me too. And, and... Go ahead. Oh, the last one. If uh, you could give e- either one of these films a very modest Hollywood budget of one... The uh, nice round number of one million dollars... All right, Dr. Evil? Which one did... Uh, you think had more potential uh, to produce a better film? Which one do you think was held back merely by uh, budgetary concerns and really had uh, maybe the uh, could have reached higher heights had it, it not been for being held back by money? So my joke answer is slacker because I would have paid someone to edit it better, like where it would only be like 13 minutes, you know? Yeah. You would have had you would have had thousands of slackers in it. Yeah, you know, like more money, we could we could get all we can get every slacker. You know, give them a little uh, a little taste of the limelight here. So this you're going to be six hours long. You're reversing what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I'm going to give it to following so that they could pay for uh, better acting, and they could the film could be longer so that the the twist at the end makes a little bit more sense because. Uh, I appreciate, like, if I were to rewatch this film, it's not that I would understand it better, because I understood it fine, like, the first time. You know, like, mm-hmm. by the end, I'm like, okay, this makes sense. But, like, I think if the movie was a little bit longer, I would be able to go back and, like, Shyamalan it, you know, where I'd be like, oh, mm-hmm. in this scene, this makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, where in this movie, like, you're you're one and done because it's less than 70 it's less than like 90 minutes. So you, you're able to, they don't need to flash back to anything cause you remember it. Cause it yeah. stored in my short term memory. 
So I think uh, the more of a budget would have gotten better actors and it would have paid for more film so he could have shot longer and he could have shot more to edit more. Yeah. So, I felt the, I felt exactly the same oh way. I kind of I kind of felt that that slacker kind of was just what it he wanted it to be. Yeah. Like I don't think if you gave him a million dollars like like I said he might have had a catering budget. Yeah. And you Delicious. know might, might have had trailers for you know some of the actors, the some of them. Smear. You know, could could have got uh, you know the butthole surfers girl like a you know a air conditioned trailer or something. It's awesome. But like it's a dry I don't heat. like I don't think that there's really much more that you can do with that concept. However, with with following, not to say that it's like the end all be all for movies because no. it, it wasn't, but it it had a it Wait, had an interesting. What? <laughs> this just in breaking news you know it had it but it had an interesting story it had you know a lot of uh nuances there that that could have been made better like you said with you know you know better lighting you yeah. know uh modestly you know trained actors you yeah. know you don't have to get like big movie stars but you could get you know there's a lot there's millions of really good you know stage and it's it's uh, England too. Actors out there, you know? yeah, like, they, they where... invented acting. Well, I think yeah. the Greeks invented it, but the, <laughs> the, the English did it in English, so we could understand it. Like I can't, right. I can't understand Greek yet. So, but quarantine's I, I, not I just, over yet, so maybe I'll get it done. But like you said, with uh, like the the murder scenes and the, uh, uh, you know, you could have got like you know better, you know, public shots and you yeah. know. You know, maybe Astros. had a maybe had a drone cam or or two now shot for no reason. Yeah, but I I just think that it had it was a Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. You know, it was it was obviously a Christopher Nolan movie, and you've seen how successful he can be with bigger budgets. Yes, you know he's like insanely successful. Like I uh what like Dunkirk was like the big uh, award uh, winner this. Uh, this past round of awards are, are for nominations. Um, I'm trying to see like what the big Killian Murphy fan, what the cost of that movie was. Well, it made a uh, 526 million at the box office. Is that good? Uh, depends on, on what it costs. That's a good uh, the budget was a hundred to 150 million. That's a pretty big uh, margin right there. Yeah. I, I think it probably it, – because I think a lot of the budget you know, comes from like marketing and stuff like that. So sure. they say that, that like when a movie is made, uh, you basically have to like triple the, the actual cost of it to figure in like the, the marketing and everything. So if it, if it costs you, you know, like $50 million to make, it's really going to – you're really going to have to make 150 million just to break even, you know, after all the the marketing and everything. So that's probably where there's a range there because they know how much it actually costs to make, but there's probably no, you know, exact number on the the marketing cost. But you think like this guy made this movie for 6 grand and then he's making a movie for 150 million. Yeah. And you know, like Inception, like I don't even know how much that movie costs to make, but I'm assuming it's over 100 million. 
are you know got to be close to that. Yeah. I would think with the special effects and everything and the big name actors, right? You know, it. But it. But it's. It's a Christopher Nolan movie. You know, it's still. You know, you've seen what he can. What kind of movie he makes with six grand, and you've seen what kind of movie he makes with a hundred million, and it's basically the same movie. Just it looks better. Yeah. So I think that if you gave him more money, it would be it would, you know, just be it would improve the quality of the movie. Where I think that Slacker had kind of, you know, reached the ceiling of of what it what it could be and uh, what it was. Yeah, I agree. Um, so his newest movie, Tenant, is I think the budget was two hundred and five million. Yikes! Yeah. You know what they say and, though, and that's like, and that's just like. That's just like normal. Like I remember when Waterworld came out, and it was the such most expensive. Yeah, was it? It wasn't the most. Was was it the most expensive movie or the most expensive flop? I don't know. There was. Uh, they always talk about that that Ishtar movie. I think with Warren Beatty and in it. Um, apparently, the like the budget for Waterworld. I'm looking at it now. Was 175 million. But what about like the Waterworld ride? Does that count? <laughs> um, I and this was like in '95, so like yeah. you know that everybody was just like, oh my god, you know this? How how can it be so expensive? Like how can you even? What do you even do with a movie? Like how do you even spend the money? And then like movies now, like the Marvel movies come out, and they're like 400 million, yeah. no big deal. Like Ant Man is 400 million. <laughs> yeah, Ant Man is 400 million without without breaking a sweat, yeah. and nobody says anything because they know it's going to make you know close to a billion dollars. Even Ant Man makes like you know 750 million dollars, and it's an it's an insane you know money maker. And Waterworld, you know, for as you know lambasted as it was, ended up being profitable. For the, oh, I did not you know, know that. You know, after after theatrical release and after VHS and after, um, you know, because this was still the time when like video rental was was a big thing and there wasn't. I know they had like, might have been a Burger King, but they had like, they had sponsorship through stuff <laughs> like get your Waterworld collectible cup at Seven Eleven, like something like that. Can't remember who though. <laughs> it made a big impression on me, obviously. Uh, it says during production, the film was plagued by a series of cost overruns and production setbacks. Uh, Universal initially authorized a budget of 100 million. By 1994, it had swollen to 135, with final cost reaching an estimated 175, a record sum for a film production at the time. Wow! So there you go. It was the most expensive at the time. But apparently, it made. Um, Two hundred sixty-five million dollars. So it was it was profitable, and for all the, you know, for all the uh, you know crap it got, it made its money back and then some. So all right, well, suck it. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll eat my words. Shoot. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Oh, Dan, who won today? Uh, it looks like by a close margin of uh, five to three, following was the victor of today's matchup. Christopher Nolan's debut $6,000 black and white neo-noir movie. Uh, Very close though. And I think, you know, and that reflects like my feelings about the movie. I wasn't like blown away by either one of them. Yeah. It was just Uh, better. That's all. And usually that when we, when we end up tallying up our votes, 
you know, if it's close in, in the vote, it's usually close in how I perceive yeah. you know, my enjoyment or my experience with both the movies or both the albums that we do. So we'll be back in just a minute with some recommendations for other shoestring budget movies that are, might be better than these. We're back. We've got some recommendations for you. Dan, do you want me to go first or you want to go? Uh, you go. Okay, so I have another debut movie of a uh, director who turned into a super popular multi-million dollar, multi-award um, winning director, writer, and the movie is called El Mariachi. It is... Mm-hmm. Have you seen it before? Yeah. It is Robert Rodriguez, uh, yeah. who you might know from Spy Kids and uh, <laughs> the Lava Girl movie. Um, but he's well known for, uh, it's called the Mexico Trilogy, of which El Mariachi not only is his debut film, but also the first movie in this. It's sort of like a modern western that takes place in Mexico. Uh, it is hyper-violent. He made it with all of his friends and family. I'm going to try and find the budget here. Uh, Seven grand. So there's something called post-production. So this movie was so popular that uh, the people in the States found out about it. And they spent $200,000 with, like, sound upgrades, film upgrades, and advertising for the movie. And then it ended up making... $2 $2 million. So it was one of the first movies to break a million dollars that was shot for such a low budget. Um, it's a pretty good movie, uh, considering everyone in it is just like... I think the lead actor is somewhat well-known in Mexico, but like it might have come afterwards. Um, he's just like some guy uh, who's playing the guitar, and... The plot is that uh, this guy gets out of jail with a guitar case full of weapons, and he's going to find the drug lord who, like, betrayed him. And then there's a case of mistaken identity, and there's a female lead who uh, there's sort of a love triangle with, and uh, the regular mariachi guy has is, you know, forced to, you know, defend himself and, like, fight, you know turn into a sort of uh, local hero, and then the movie, less than 90 minutes, because film was very expensive, uh, started this, like, people loved it, and then he did Desperado, which is sort of a reboot, sort of reimagining, so they take most of the plot points of El Mariachi and sort of, like, uh, like glow them up, like, they give him this Hollywood budget, and he makes this, like, incredibly over-the-top outrageous movie intentionally they're like yeah this is just this is the legend of el mariachi so it's like you know Mm -hmm. huge explosions and they get antonio banderas and selma hayek just these like incredibly gorgeous superstars to play these roles and then robert rodriguez goes on to be like insanely wealthy and uh make just like dozens of movies regardless Mm -hmm. of quality but i like a lot of his stuff He's got his own uh, network, too, the El Rey Network. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. They have a Lucha Underground Wrestling on there. Sounds about right. That's the only reason I know it. Uh, 
I don't know if this qualifies. I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna qualify it because of the uh, just because of when we think of like big big time blockbuster movies and how small the budget is compared to that. I'm gonna go with uh, the original John Carpenter Halloween. Yeah, that's de- that definitely counts, right? Uh, Three hundred grand to make, which uh, isn't necessarily a shoestring, but definitely. Yeah, it's not like to... he. It's not like he made it like guerrilla style, you know, filming like with a with a Fisher Price camera or anything like that. But when you think about like its place in horror history and horror film culture vernacular, you know, the fact that you know it's gone on to be such a big thing, um, both the character of Michael Myers and and just the movie as a whole and. One of the greatest horror films of all time was made for you know for that amount. Uh, when it said it made like seventy million at the box office and you know on three hundred thousand dollar budget it spans forty years. The this the franchise. Yeah, and if you if you if you go back and watch the movie, it still holds up. Yes, you know, and the and it's not. It's it's before like everything got like gore pornish yes you know that's a good point it was made you know it was just there wasn't a lot of like crazy stunt work in it there wasn't a lot of it there wasn't uh, it was it was just being clever with what you had you know what what you were using as far as like camera shots and camera cuts and and just being more creepy than anything else than than just being like a bloodbath which is what some of the the movies later on would would become more oh we got to make them like you know gory slasher movies no you can make a scary ass movie for not a lot of money and you know he did that and i thought you know that's just one of it's one of my favorite movies ever and i think compared you know to the budget of you know some of the movies that they make especially horror movies now it's like not even close it's not you know not even the same ballpark I think another thing about John Carpenter that should be talked about when we talk about his films is like how awesome the score is mm-hmm. for also just because like it seems like such a tricky thing to do, even if you have a good movie is to get mm-hmm. good music that fits the scene and like amplifies whatever's happening, whether it's like suspense or like romance or drama, but like he does suspense and it's like, Everyone, if you heard it, everyone would be able to identify it. Yeah. And it's still, like, pretty creepy, you know? Oh, yeah. And that's smart. That's using what you have and using it, you know, in a smart way. You you don't have – when you have a, a smaller budget like that, you can't make a lot of mistakes. You have to be very, you know, frugal and very smart about how you use what you have. And if you have, you know, access to people that can – uh, compose a you know, a very you know interesting score like we talked about on previous shows that can enhance a movie and you can edit it and use it in a certain way uh, to enhance the experience then it you can get a lot out of a little yeah rather than just spend a lot of money on special effects or spend a lot of money on uh, you know pulling um, you know innards out of people and stuff like that, you know yeah. bring, bring it in like uh, you know, special you know special effects people and stuff like that to do that. You can you can be smarter with it and get a lot out of a, a smaller budget. Uh, another one that that comes to mind that 
is one of my favorite movies ever was Rocky. And I think that was made for less than a million dollars. Sylvester Stallone wrote it. And uh, does he direct? I don't think he he, did, he he didn't start directing until the second one. Okay. And then he directs. He write he wrote all of them and directed starting the second one. But you know they they basically I think the studio basically said that uh, if you want to sell it to us, like we'll give you this amount of money, but you're not going to be in it. Right. And he really wanted to to star in it, so he. Uh, to like get money to like live on, he had he sold his dog. Aww. He so, sold his his dog, and then when the movie was success was successful, he bought the dog back. <laughs> so that's like his his big success story there is that he bet on himself, yeah, and and it ended up paying off for him. And then we talked about Clerks earlier. Like Clerks was the first you know movie, of course, introduced me to Kevin Smith, and I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah. And you know he he made that by maxing out all his credit cards. Yeah. You know, he would get uh he worked at a video store and, and used what he had. He had the or he, he had the video store and he had the uh the market next to it and he had the he had friends that you know worked there and were in the area and he said, I'm just gonna put my friends in there, I'm just gonna use, you know, these places as our as our setting and right. we're gonna we're gonna do it after hours and you know, he he used what he had and he talks about how he got all these credit cards by, you know, saying that he would fill out applications. He would say that he was a manager of a video store, <laughs> and that and that he made fifty thousand dollars a year. And then when the uh, uh, the credit card company would call to verify this, he would say, "Yes, I'm the owner of this store. Uh, Kevin Smith is one of my managers. He makes fifty thousand dollars a year." <laughs> so he would get all these ah, credit cards. Credit card fraud. Yep, and he would max them all. He maxed them all out, you know, in order to to make this. But you think that if digital had been around then, he probably could have made the same movie for you know a fraction of. I think it cost him like thirty two grand or something, like thirty six grand or something like that. Yeah. But he probably could have made it for a fraction of that, you know, shooting it on on digital. That's frustrating. I think that it's really hard to do comedy in general, and so it's probably even harder to do it with little budget because you don't have yeah. so many writers working with you mm-hmm. you know that's sort of the tricky thing and uh just wanted to mention with rocky that's another movie who has even though it's not uh you know one of the major studios has an amazing score that really famous mm-hmm. rocky song not yep survivor that comes in the third one <laughs> is that the third one i the time uh yes yes that's when like the first two are very artsy yeah um like the second one that which well, they're also like stu- super dramatic too. Mm-hmm. Like the second yeah. one is like crazy. Yeah, this so it's still the third one is when they bring in Mr. T and things start getting like like this is like big budget Hollywood now. Yeah. Like yes. people expect like over the top fight scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. Because most boxing matches are pretty boring. You know. <laughs> You know, they're not guys like out there throwing big haymakers at each other like a like a street fight. Right. But, uh, you know, they by the time the third movie came around, they expected, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger things. And, you know, because they knew it was a big money maker, whereas yeah. the first two movies were, kind of you know, gamble. lower budget and, you know, could be could be conceived as more artsy. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, there's a whole bunch of uh, 
shoestring budget films you can check out. Dan, you got anything to plug? Uh, still doing the uh, Rhino Wrestling Review on ProWrestling.com and all podcast platforms. We try to uh, come out with that at least once a week or once every 10 days or so. Uh, my wife and I are still doing the Harry Potter Broomsticks and Butterbeer podcast. We are, as we record this, we're about uh, – we just started the fourth book. That's a chapter-by-chapter chapter discussion of the Harry Potter novels, which we have a lot of fun with. And that's available on all podcast platforms. And then we recently launched a uh, podcast about the show The Office called The Goat Podcast, The Greatest Office of All Time, where myself, my wife, and my wrestling co-host, Will Lewis, go through and uh, tournament style uh, compare a couple episodes of The Office and pick a winner. And then we're by the time we get to the end, which will probably be in about 30 years based on how <laughs> often we released episodes, we will find out what is the definitive greatest Office episode of all time. So that's called The Goat Podcast, our greatest Office of all time, available on all podcast platforms. Quick question about The Goat Podcast. Is it supposed to be the funniest episode? No. Okay, so it's uh, not the vote. Right. right. Okay. Uh, so we look at a lot of things. We look at, um, you know, we look at we look at you know how funny it is, but we also look at uh, you know character arcs, and we look at um, you know setting. We look at uh, big major plot points. We look at like character growth. We look. We try to look come at it from as many different uh, angles as we can, and we often don't agree, which is okay. Uh, because it'd be kind of boring if we all uh, agreed on the same things. And you're not doing every episode; you're only doing the episodes in the bracket, right? Right. So uh, NBC for the 15th anniversary of The Office released a 32 episode tournament, um, and so we're using that as our basis. Uh, so we're watching two episodes that they have pit, pitted against each other and then picking a winner to advance, and we will continue the tournament until there's only one uh, episode standing. Excellent. Well, that's great. Uh, thanks for coming on today. Thanks of course. Thanks for all your opinions, even though they're mostly wrong. Still yeah, fine. I mean, trust me, I know. I'm well aware. And if you like hearing more of Dan's crazy opinions about nonsense, uh, go ahead and check out his other podcast. Yeah, uh, all available on the Rhino Podcasting Network. RPN. Uh, get in there now, guys. Otherwise, yeah. you know, get, get on board or get crushed underfoot. Yeah, or get the fuck out. Yeah. Get the fuck out. Uh, this has been Comparing Apples to Oranges. Today we compared shoestring budget films. Uh, I'm Mike. I'm Dan. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Cinnamon and sugar and salt, please broken lies. You never know just how to look through other people's eyes. That was Pepper by the Butthole Surfers. That's the song that they always played on the radio. I couldn't think of it during the podcast, but there you go. It's kind of fun. Thanks for listening to episode number 52 of the podcast, and I hope you enjoyed it. Go ahead and check out that blogger site, which is 
thecatopodcast.blogspot.com for all of the available episodes of the podcast. I put some goodies in the show notes for this episode, so go ahead and check that out. Some funny videos. Any comments or ideas for future podcasts, please send it to Twitter. It's at thecatopodcast, all one word. Or email any ideas to catopodcast at gmail.com. That's C-A-T-O. The intro-outro music bed music was the song Thumbs Up by the great artist Leisure Bean. If you liked his music and you want to look up more, go ahead and head to humanworkshop.com. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. One thousand twenty-six years ago, superstition and the sword ruled. It was a time of fear, a time of gargoyles. Uh, uh, Liz, what are you doing? Oh, hey there, Daniel. Uh, I didn't see you. Um, I'm just watching gargoyles. The mid '90s Disney cartoon. Yeah. And do you always yell along with Goliath? Do you not? Fair point. So, did you maybe want to watch with me? Oh, and then make a podcast about it? Hells yeah! Yes, I'm so into it! We are Defenders of the Night! The most trusted source for top-to-bottom coverage of everyone's favorite mid-90s animated program, Gargoyles! Find us at CalamityCast.com or your favorite podcatcher. Rawr!